Every year, 1.7 million Americans develop sepsis, and of those, about 270,000 will die. In fact, more Americans die of sepsis each year than from breast cancer, prostate cancer, and AIDS combined. You're listening to 911Cast, the no-nonsense EMS podcast. I'm Scott Topiel, and this week, it's all about sepsis. Sepsis is a big deal, and for every hour that treatment's delayed, a person's chance of dying from sepsis increases by 8%. You've been dispatched to the home of a 27-year-old female with abdominal pain. When you arrive, she tells you that she gave birth four days ago and woke up this morning with pain, chills, and generalized weakness. Her vital signs are as follows. Blood pressure, 128 over 72. Heart rate, 98. Respirations, 22. Oxygen saturation, 98% on room air. And her skin signs are flushed and quite warm. Is this patient septic, or is she just regular sick? Now, you'd think it'd be easy to figure out who's septic, but the truth is there isn't one criteria, a reliable test, or a specific vital sign that can tell you whether or not a patient is septic. Identifying sepsis essentially comes down to collecting a bunch of red flags and building a case. So before we can identify sepsis, we first have to know what it is. A lot of people think that sepsis is a blood-borne or widespread systemic infection, but in fact, sepsis is usually caused by a localized infection. Something as simple as a cut on the hand from gardening can lead to sepsis in an otherwise healthy person in a relatively short time span. But what is sepsis? Sepsis is the body's overwhelming and life-threatening response to infection that can lead to tissue damage, organ failure, and even death. In other words, the infection causes the immune system to overreact, which in turn leads the body to attack itself in a friendly fire kind of situation. So the first step as an EMS provider in determining whether or not your patient is septic is to look for signs and symptoms of an infection. Common signs and symptoms could include fever, though it's not always present, chills and sweats, cough, sore throat or nasal congestion, a stiff neck, vaginal discharge or irritation, increased urination or painful cloudy urine, redness, soreness or swelling in any part of the body, diarrhea, vomiting or abdominal pain, or just nonspecific altered mental status. When a patient is confused or more confused than normal, infection and sepsis could be the cause. There are also certain groups of people that are inherently at risk for sepsis. These include many of the usual suspects, such as the very young or very old, so adults 65 years of age or older, or children under the age of one, women who have recently given birth, people that are immunocompromised, such as transplant recipients that are on anti-rejection medication, people with chronic medical conditions like diabetes or kidney failure, people with obesity, patients with cancer or who are receiving chemotherapy, anyone with an external catheter, port, like a urinary catheter, dialysis port, or feeding tube, and people that live in nursing homes or other long-term healthcare facilities. To detect sepsis in the pre-hospital environment, you need to first recognize that the patient might have an infection, then begin collecting red flags through your assessment. So let's start with vital signs. Blood pressure doesn't usually reveal sepsis. In fact, only about 20% of patients with sepsis present as hypotensive in the field. This is where something called SIRS criteria, or Systemic Inflammatory Response Syndrome criteria, becomes really handy. SIRS criteria takes a look at temperature, heart rate, respiratory rate, end-tidal CO2, and some other stuff that isn't really relevant to EMS, 
in a way that helps draw our attention to the red flags of sepsis. According to SIRS criteria, if a patient has a fever, that's to say that they have a temperature of 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius or higher, or if the patient is cold, meaning they have a temperature of less than 96.8 degrees Fahrenheit or 36 degrees Celsius, we raise a red flag. Incidentally, a patient that has an infection and is cold has a worse prognosis than a patient with a fever because they're probably already heading into shock. Next, we take a look at the heart rate. If the adult patient's resting heart rate is above 90, we raise another red flag. Then we need to look at respiratory rate. This is a really important vital sign, but it's also one of the most neglected. When it comes to sepsis, it's super important to count respirations accurately. Don't just document 16 and move on to the next box. If the patient's respiratory rate is more than 20, you guessed it, that's another red flag. If you have it available to you, end tidal CO2 is a really good indicator as well. If the end tidal CO2 of your patient is less than 32, that's a red flag for sepsis. And if it's less than 25, it's almost a slam dunk, 90% likely that the patient has severe sepsis. With SIRS criteria, any combination of two abnormal findings, even if they're only slightly abnormal, coupled with your suspicion of infection, is a red flag that says that the patient probably has sepsis. In sepsis, like many other life-threatening conditions, trending is really important. You can't say vital signs are stable if you only have one set. Reassessment is a requirement in order to trend things. And a really good tool for trending is the mean arterial pressure. You know that little number next to the blood pressure on your monitor? That's the mean arterial pressure, also known as the MAP. The MAP tells you if the blood pressure is enough to perfuse vital organs. A normal MAP is 65 to 110. The minimum needed to perfuse critical organs like the kidneys is a MAP of 60. As you're getting your repeat vital signs, keep an eye on the map and trend it. For those of you that like math, you can also calculate the map manually by multiplying the diastolic blood pressure by 2, adding the systolic blood pressure to that, then dividing the whole thing by 3. So what can we do in the field to better these patients' outcomes? Well, early IV fluid administration is absolutely critical for the septic patient before they become hypotensive. Here in Los Angeles County, where I practice, our policy is 1,000 milliliters of normal saline as a rapid IV bolus, with reassessments every 250 milliliters to ensure that we're not sending the patient into fluid overload. Listen to lung sounds for signs of pulmonary edema, such as Rawls. More generally, 30 milliliters per kilogram of crystalloid IV fluids with frequent reassessments for fluid overload is the most common initial resuscitation protocol. Sepsis is a continuum. It starts out subtle, but if left unchecked, can quickly progress to shock. As the patient goes from plain sepsis to septic shock, you might need to start pressors. Here in Los Angeles County, we use push-dose epinephrine diluted to 10 micrograms per milliliter, 1 milliliter, given every 1 to 5 minutes to maintain a systolic blood pressure of at least 90. But your system might use a different drug, such as norepinephrine. So that leads us to the obvious question. What's the difference between sepsis and septic shock? Many of us in our initial EMS education learned about sepsis in the context of septic shock. Simply put, sepsis is infection plus bad, and by that I mean abnormal, vital signs, and sepsis plus shock is septic shock. Remember the 27-year-old female that had just given birth four days earlier and called 911 because of abdominal pain? Maybe you didn't see her as septic because you didn't see her as shocky. 
But let's look for red flags armed with our new sepsis detective tools. She complained of new abdominal pain and chills, and her skin was very warm. These symptoms put the possibility of an infection on our radar, raising the first red flag. We know that she had recently given birth, which places her in an at-risk category, another red flag. Using the surge criteria, we take a look at her vital signs. If you recall, her heart rate was 98. SIRS criteria helps us identify that as abnormal. We raise another red flag. Her respiratory rate was 22. It's slightly elevated, but still significant. A red flag. What about the blood pressure? Although it's not a component of SIRS criteria, it's still obviously an important vital sign. In this case, the blood pressure was 128 over 72. Normal. While there isn't one specific vital sign or complaint with this patient that you could look at and declare sepsis, combining all of the assessment data and looking at those red flags builds a pretty convincing case for sepsis. Despite the fact that she's only 27 years old and otherwise healthy, if we don't treat her quickly and transport her appropriately, she can easily progress to septic shock and become a statistic as a victim of one of the leading causes of maternal mortality. When you make that hospital handoff, use the phrase, I suspect sepsis. If you don't say those words, if you don't say, I suspect sepsis, then sure, the hospital's eventually going to figure out that the patient's septic. But the patient's care rewinds all the way back to the beginning instead of continuing forward where you left off. By identifying sepsis, initiating treatment early, and ensuring a good handoff, you can reduce the patient's chance of an ICU admission by as much as 30%. So that's it for this week's episode of 911 Cast. Please subscribe and join us again next week for another EMS topic. A big thank you to our friends at One Kit First Aid Kits for sponsoring us. Check out their professional grade first aid kits and complete first responder kits at buyonekit.com. That's B U Y O N E kit.com. Thanks for listening.